We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be looking at Kolchak, the Night Stalker, Primal Scream. And I'm just going to warn you now, uh, Simon and I have just spent an hour and 15 minutes recording one of the longest Kolchak podcasts we've ever done on this episode. And... um, I apparently didn't push the record button. So we're back <laughs> at it again. <clears throat> so if it count yourself like, lucky you've been spared it. <laughs> so if it sounds like... It was a fascinating discussion. It was fascinating. And if it sounds like we um, may have... Are harping on things or that we've... Seem like we may have discussed but haven't actually discussed, that could be why. A scientist returns to his lab at OIO, the Oceanic International Oil Company, after a long absence at a conference. There is a sound in the freezer. When he opens it, something leaps out and kills him. Kolchak, showing up at the crime scene, notices that the scientist's arm was ripped out of its socket like a turkey leg. But the police are reticent to give details about how the murder occurred. Snooping, Kolchak notices that the adjacent freezer is not only open, but that it is hot and humid inside, and some of the sample cans are open. Talking with the PR department, Kolchak learns little, except that the scientist and his assistant were CIO's entire biology department, and they were working on core samples brought back from the Arctic. The scientist's assistant was in a car accident shortly after he left for his conference. She has been hospitalized for weeks, and no one has been in the lab. Kolchak smells a cover-up, and that delays him getting his article on the wires. Much to Vincenzo's ire, since the details of the murder were scooped by the other news services. Another killing occurs, but this time, the police shoot and kill the attacker. The police report that it was a gorilla. However, an eyewitness tells Kolchak it wasn't a gorilla. It was more like a man. Yet another killing occurs, but this time Kolchak and the police make it to the scene of the crime in time for some of the action. Kolchak sees and photographs an ape-man. The police captain accidentally knocks Kolchak's camera to the ground and steps on it, destroying the pictures. The captain won't release any pictures of the creature that was shot, so Kolchak breaks into his office and steals them. He snoops on the experts brought in by the OIO and learns that the cell samples in the cores had been growing, and that after the accident occurred, while no one was in the office, the freezer had broken, causing the samples to all thaw out. It's possible that the growing cells somehow became the ape men. OIO has lots of money. And Kolchak's story, which Vincenzo is very pleased with, is squashed from the home office. When he attempts to keep digging, he finds that OIO's money reaches almost everywhere, except the public school system, where he's able to consult with a high school biology teacher about the possible nature of the creature. He concludes that this creature, if it exists, would be a nocturnal, carnivorous cave-dweller. Kolchak breaks into OIO and visits the lab, where he finds an embryo growing in one of the sample containers. 
Kolchak, needing a photo to finalize his story, goes to the old underground tunnels used by the Manhattan Project, where he finds the creature. He keeps it at bay with a flare and tries to reason with it. But before he can, the police arrive, startle the creature, which attacks Kolchak. As Kolchak passes out, the police tranquilize it, and the creature is taken away. As is Kolchak's camera and his photographs. Kolchak ponders what will become of the now captive and covered up ape man. So I, I do want to start this conversation out um, with my tribute to their um, accuracy in science. Specifically, when it comes to the part where Kolchak talks about people evolving from apes, our an ape man, and the biology teacher gets very upset about that and points out that this that is a mistake. We are not evolved from apes. We we and apes are evolved from a common ancestor. And I mean, this is a trope that I have to deal with all the time. Um, and, and you hear it all the time from creationists and other people who are not versed in any kind of logic or science whatsoever. And, and I appreciate the fact that even in the 1970s, there were some writers that were trying to get facts in front of people instead of just going along with the silly nonsense of ape men and, and whatnot. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Having said that, then the rest of the episode, we spend our time being beaten and poked with a stupid science stick from, from one end to the other. And uh, yeah, so you got to uh, take you got to take it where you can find it, <laughs> and that, this is the best I can do. Is is just that that one little glimmer where there was there was a second before the rest of the stupid uh, really kind of picked it. But that could be um, that that could be giving a hint as to what my opinion of the episode was. Simon, what did you think about Primal Scream? Uh, well, it's like they're not even trying. Um, it's it's sticking a man in a gorilla suit having Kolchak creep around behind a potted fern, and boom, there we go. That'll keep the punters happy for another week. Job done. Yeah, it's it, it was definitely... Um, and not exactly a by-the-numbers episode, because I, I think we've established that by-the-numbers is the Ripper. But Yes, so yes. We've got a little there, bit there of are, variation here. There are some numbers. There, are, I mean, we've got, a, uh, we've got a grumpy police captain. Well, we've, we've, we've got a a monster in a suit and we've got got the grumpy police captain um and we've got kolchak back to kind of um sneaking around as if that's the epitome of investigative journalism trying to to you know he he knows all the people he's got to speak to he's just got to creep past the guards and do that in ingenious ways and boom he'll have his story I think that probably a whole generation of journalism students, when they go off to college to study journalism, are incredibly disappointed when they get their syllabus and it does not involve <laughs> um, what they learned from 1970s journalism uh, on television. Because that's 1970s journalism on television to a T. Creeping around, poking your nose in where it's not supposed to be, um, you know, not trusting not trusting anything anybody tells you and and going on there but the real world may not be quite the quite the same so um um in in fairness there in fairness there is, there is good reason for Kolchak not to trust everything that anyone tells him 
in this case because there clearly is as as we've seen as as the series has begun to evolve a little bit there are conspiracies or vested interests that are taking hold so it's no longer just Kolchak being the only one who is smart enough and um, insightful enough to kind of spot these uh, mysterious and supernatural uh, occurrences we've now got other people who know what's going on but want to keep it secret or want to keep it uh, to themselves for their for their own purposes Mm. and and that that clearly is the case in this i I think yeah story that's fair um in earlier ones you you could almost say that his investigation is perpendicular to the investigation being done by the by the authorities you know he's following a completely different path than they are and they occasionally cross uh unsuccessfully for kolchak usually but uh, here he's effectively carrying out a parallel investigation because as we we follow this episode to the end Kolchak and the powers that be arrive at the same place at the same time following the same or slightly different variations of the evidence that they've gathered along the way and yeah in i mean it, as epitomized by the scene where Kolchak is literally listening outside the door yeah to the CIO, the uh, sorry, not OIO, was it, OIO, IO, uh, <laughs> IO, OIO, OIO experts explaining the plot in the way that in previous episodes that might have been Kolchak explaining it to Vincenzo. Okay, I, I, I will say I'm going to add something that I know we didn't talk about last time because it just occurred to me. Um, we're going to have a discussion. I'm sure we're going to have a discussion on how bad the science is. Very soon now. <laughs> very, very soon now. But there is one thing in this scene. Um, we've got two experts that have been flown in to discuss this. They are talking with the lab assistant who is telling them about what had happened, about the cells dividing and the cells growing from these core samples. And we've got the PR guy in the room. And the PR guy is talking about how, you know, he can he can cover up anything, um, I forgot what the two – one of the things that he talked about is if we spill a ton of oil and turn Seattle Harbor into into muck, I can deal with that. And I forgot what the other one was, oil disaster that he – oh, prices or uh, something. He can spin – High, the, high prices know. and bad air. High prices and bad air. That was the other one. I can spin yeah, that. You thought that was bad in 1975? Yeah. I I can deal with that one. But actually it's better now. Believe it or not, but at least here. But what the prices? Um, oh, not the prices, but the bad air. <laughs> they have they have done a little bit along the way. Um, but then he's the one that basically says. So what you're saying is that these these cells have multiplied and turned into these ape men. And again, as best I can for the credit of the writers, the two experts basically. Look at him like now. That's that's too far. <laughs> that, that, I, I'm, I did not. Say, that would be really say, stupid. I didn't yeah. say that. I, I would not jump to that conclusion, despite the fact that that is obviously exactly what has happened in this story. <laughs> despite the fact that it has happened inside a sealed room, where there's no food or nutrients or anything. Um, any explanation of how 
a, a, a cell in a flask has turned into a six foot biped adult or six yeah. foot biped in <laughs> or where the where that mass has come from i mean hmm. in little or no time that's right um that that part is bad so <laughs> okay it's just bad it's bad and, and i think it's worse that later in the episode we actually see uh kolchak um open break into the lab and he opens up one of these sample containers and inside of it is an embryo floating in liquid I, you know it's one thing which if is you presumably a, melted ice yeah i, I mean how, I, unless I unless the cell climbed into the flask filled it with um, liquid yeah filled it with uh, t- tasty yeah yeah they don't you know they're 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 human they're mammalian Let's, they're not, you know, they're not directly between apes and men, but we're all from common ancestors, and so are we and every other mammal out there. And so it should have an umbilical cord, and it should be connected to something, and it should be drawing nutrients, and that would be the only way that it could grow. But that's not what we're presented here. What we were presented with is that this cellular division just kept growing until it reached a fully adult, mature creature uh, in the space of a couple of weeks. While the scientist was in Geneva and the other one was in the hospital and nobody in the entire company noticed that one of their freezes was broken or fixed it or anything of that. So, Well, I can live with them not spotting the freezer, but it's, it's literally this thing of getting from, you know, because so, the, the idea is is an interesting one. This, this, this notion of there being something eons of years old, which is which is preserved in the ice, which is, you know, not an uncommon basis for stories like that. That in itself is potentially a, a, an interesting story. It's this, it's this thing that you have in Kolchak that you have to have this kind of um, humanoid monster of some sort. And so they need to get from selling, a, selling an ice sample to humanoid in some way Mm-hmm. But they haven't bothered. They just haven't bothered. They the just blob would have been better. They've just they've just gone straight for it. And you know, I think if you, I mean if you look at, at other stories that we can see that have taken that idea of something strange that has been preserved in the ice, like ice in mm-hmm. the X Files, or um, or, or even in 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 Doctor Who, because in in this they actually use the idea of seed as a metaphor. Yeah. And so I, I, it did make me think of seeds of doom. I've already forgotten whether I got that right. Seeds, seeds of, doom, of doom, yes. Um, not death, where it's literally a seed. But, you know, even then, for a seed to grow into something else, it needs water and it needs nutrients and it needs sunlight and it needs all the rest of it and and you know that and obviously that, that that metaphor doesn't doesn't go any way to explain how all that all, how all that have, could have happened in in what is basically a completely sealed room because a, a seed doesn't turn into a plant by magic it doesn't happen just because this the entire plant is stored inside the seed and it just pops out 
Right. A seed is, uh, you know, and a seed is a thing that is, and I'll use the word designed, but that's implying something that's not there, but it, it has a function. It has developed, it has evolved a function, mm-hmm. and that function is to survive for a period of time until the conditions are right for the plant to grow. And, you know, that that's a function of the way that the seed pods develop and how trees are and, and you know, humans or ape men have seeds too, but they're very, very different environment uh, for being quote-unquote protected and gestating. And, yeah, this is, this is, fails the, any kind of plausibility test whatsoever. I mean, it is, it is, is implausible as a vampire not casting a reflection in a mirror. It's like, you just might as well dismiss it. But I think the problem here is that it's presented in a scientific environment. Yes. We've got scientists talking about sciencey things as if this is a sciencey thing that could science its way out of something and it <laughs> obviously cannot. <laughs> it's like, it just, it is just functionally flawed at every, at every level. Like I said, or maybe I didn't say, I could, I could picture, okay, if you put the cells on a table and you had a, a sort of sitting in a nutrient bath, I I would be more forgiving, even though it's still ludicrous, I would be more forgiving if the cells multiplied into the creature directly than to actually go through the gestation embryonic stage and everything. Because the embryo itself implies the, the, the umbilical cords and the you know the the amniotic sac and all the things that you stages you have to go through to get to be an adult and that just makes it orders of magnitude more implausible than if they just multiplied up into a creature which obviously couldn't happen but <laughs> it's like at least you haven't taken as many liberties with with, with the yeah, or or, or 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 make it into some kind of mind controlling parasite or something. Yes. It doesn't. It doesn't have to. I don't. I don't get why every monster has to be played by an actor in a costume. Oh, I do. I do. So Babylon Five, nineteen um, nineties. I guess. Um, yeah, it must be the early nineteen yeah. nineties. Yeah. Um, I remember at that time. Of course, one of the big things about Babylon 5 is that it was the first show to be really using CG for the spaceships as opposed to model work. That was where they broke apart, and that was how they were trying to keep their budget down. And one of the things that that this creator was very, very pleased about was that for the first time ever, they were going to be able to create a CG alien that didn't have to be a man in a costume. Because that was just just the limitation to the way Hollywood special effects – uh, uh, worked particularly on a TV scale for the budgets that they had. It's like it has to be a man in a costume, but it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. It's just a lack of imagination. A, but yeah, it it doesn't have to be an entity. It doesn't have to be. It you know it does. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It anthropomorphic. The, 
I, 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 yes, I guess to some degree, this, but the threat the threat doesn't have to be on that level. It doesn't have to be something that is an animal or equivalent. Yeah, be, because I mean, actually, in fairness to to, to some of the the, the Kolchak uh, adversaries, shall we call them? They have been dogs, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah, all right. So that's not that's not quite an actor in a suit. Um, but you're but you're still basically saying it has a personality of some sort, as a as opposed to, um, I don't know. It could be the there could be a plague, a virus trapped in the ice, and that would be equally threatening. It doesn't quite fit into the culture well, but I, you know, I think that kind of thing could play into a story if they were willing to vary the format just a tiny bit more than they have been. Okay, so a couple of things. So we, we, you mentioned ice in the X Files, and mm-hmm. I, to me, in a way, in a small way, when I look at the episode Ice, I think of this episode of Kolchak, and I think here's another example of how they've taken a basic premise, something that from the dawn of time, Barry Nice comes out, and mm. they've come up with a better threat out of it. Yes. Okay. Um, although exactly. Listeners will be quick to point out that Ice owes more of its lineage to John Gamble's Who Goes There or The Thing from Another World, uh, where an alien is dug out of the ice and creates a sense of paranoia in a small base because you don't know who's infected with the creature or not. So, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm saying that Ice was, let's remake Primal Scream. It's not. Ice is them going, let's, Let's do John Carpenter's Who Goes There. And, and, but there's a little bit of Kolchak coming up in it, and I think lessons learned. Well, give, given, it, given, that we, given that we know how much the influence of Kolchak was felt on the X Files, can't help thinking if they're doing a story that's literally about taking samples from the ice, they wouldn't have thought of this, even if it was purely along the lines of let's not do what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we only get it for like one minute, maybe not even that long at the end of this episode, uh, unlike Mr. Ring, but very, very close. At the last moment, this ape man is turned into a sympathetic character, or more yes. so than just the killing machine that he has been up until this point. And I don't think that would have worked if he wasn't an ape man. I I think that they it it had to be questioning the humanity of this creature. Um, yes, at, at that point. So, you know how they got him into the world is the problematic part of this story. You know, if they just found him in the jungles of Borneo and brought him back to Chicago and escaped, that would have been better than than what they did. Well, well. It- it's a, it's a it's a different kind. It would it would have been a completely different kind of story if they had avoided it being an ape man. I mean, I we we've talked about the evolution that that has been going on with the 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 kind of Kolchak episodes, which you can see, which makes this one stand out as being a later episode in the sense that you know where in earlier episodes basically it would be all about Kolchak tracking down the thing, whatever it is, and 
driving a stake through it or shooting it or whatever and even where you had slightly sympathetic ones like the the, the werewolf whatever still have to be Goldshack killing them and that has begun to change as you say you know defending mr ring and in this case talking down the ape man and and you know trying he he hasn't gone down there with the intention of killing it and even when it threatens him he doesn't kill it mm-hmm. because he's he's now seeing it as yes it yes it is a threat and it has to be stopped but it doesn't have to be stopped by exterminating it if there is another way yeah yeah and and i and i and you know he's getting through to it i think yeah i think that's what we're supposed to get when he's trying to calm it down and talk it down i think that the actor in the in the gorilla suits is supposed to be kind of you know okay maybe there's more to it than just that that killing yeah well he certainly stopped ripping his ripping his arm out of his socket so um that's a, a win from Kolchak's point of view. Yes, from Kolchak's standpoint, that's definitely a win. He didn't even uh, rip up his up his clothes, I think, at all. So I think. The, the, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say the other the other thing the other thing that uh, talking about the evolution is that the uh, as you say the, the the investigation is in parallel to what's been going on uh, with the police, but it's also with. OIO because there is this conspiracy mm-hmm. it, there are there are other people who know what Col- what Kolchak knows so rather than Kolchak being the only one who is capable of seeing this stuff and understanding this stuff and pursuing this stuff it's now it's now these other vested interests alongside and so although it's not absolutely clear to me how entirely um OIO intend to exploit this mm-hmm. they do have an interest in it yeah and that's what that's what Kolchak is up against in this um yes. more so than the ape i mean the ape man is is the thing that the villains have unleashed and then the villains are then also trying to but not deliberately they haven't no they unleashed didn't it. deliberately unleashed it but that's that's the parallels i think that we're supposed to get from the comments about the Manhattan Project is that, you know, scientific discovery has led to this terror being unleashed on the world. And then then we have the the next stage, which is OIO trying to, A, cover it up so people don't find about it, B, trying to find a way to exploit it because that's what greedy corporate companies do. And then finally, in the end this guy this ape man becomes a man he becomes a man ape and now he's in the clutches of oio and you know as we walk away how is he being treated is he being treated as a man is he being treated as an animal is he being dissected you know we we don't know we'll never know what was going on here oio is a big multifaceted villain in this episode and it's one step closer to the x-files because i I mean uh, unlike with mr ring you had you had the the department of defense and their interest in but ultimately he was he was killed he was killed (laughs) that's right even if it wasn't at kolchak's hand for a change he was killed whereas in this one if just a bullet through his head that you know somebody a good electrician could probably look at those parts and rebuild them and put it back together 
Well, yes, although they were going out of their way not to um, damage him with yeah. bullets. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I take your point about the Manhattan Project, although I, I think possibly the parallels for it are much stronger in Mr. Ring, oh, yeah. given the way AI is talked about, uh, you know, currently, actually. I, would, and, I think the mentioning Manhattan Project there would have made much more sense than it does here. But, <laughs> you know, I guess they needed something to try to talk now i do want to say this made me think of we have had conspiracies all the way all the way back to the original movie the authorities in las vegas are conspiring to keep this down but they are doing it for a completely different reason this is 100 percent. vegas is a tourist town and we don't want to scare that, tourists so yeah and so but, it's, but it but that's not that's not actually the same I would argue that's not the same as a conspiracy. What they're tr- what they're trying to do is to stop Kolchak's mm. stories about there being a vampire yeah. from coming out. It doesn't matter whether the, when they when they start, despite their incredible knuckleheaded incompetence, when they start discovering that there is actually some truth behind some of the things that Kolchak is saying, that doesn't actually make any difference. They would, even if it was, even if it was Kolchak completely making up, if it scares the tourists, it's bad. It's bad, right. So again, parallel or perpendicular. His investigation is perpendicular to theirs, whereas in this mm-hmm. one, it's parallel. Yes. They, they are coming to the same path. So it, it, it yeah. Um, th- there's always been that sort of undercurrent of the authorities are against the truth. And I think that's part of. I think that's part of the, but, the but it's mystique mo- but it's of mo- the journalist in the seventies, the post Watergate journalist. Yes, yes, yes. Although, it, although it's moved on from being Kolchak, Kolchak is the. I was going to say brilliant investigator, but slightly slightly better investigator than the really really incompetent police. As as in, you know, he's he's doing their job because they're fundamentally incapable of yes. doing doing what he can do to now they are actually very well able to find out what's going on but they are uh, they are malign investigators in the sense that their purpose in doing so is not for the great moral upstanding reason that Kolchak is doing it, which is, you know, to bring it out into the open and to let the world know about it. And, and this leads us into the, the whole, you know, here's Kolchak, he's in Chicago, these things are happening, he's finding out about them. Uh, but the investigators would have gotten the job taken care of without him, so how many things of this are happening in New York and Miami and Los Angeles? And <laughs> it gives you that paranoia uh, angle that the powers that be actually are running this sort of campaign of of secrecy that that we don't know about and i think that's um uh you know i think there there is the spiritual uh underpinnings of the x-files here you know in addition to just hey it's a show about a guy investigating weird stuff but it's also this this kind of um 
you know, if you don't have somebody doing this, it's not going to get revealed to the world kind of attitude. So, um, let's see. Uh, let's talk about Vincenzo in this episode. Um, uh, I think he's coming along very nicely, actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, yes, he's rightly upset at Kolchak for not getting his story out and getting scooped on the... Well, Col- yeah, Col- Kolchak, as well as, as well as kind of his investigative skills having regressed to, to sneaking into offices and hiding behind potted plants, he's not actually doing the basics of... He, he knows that the other journalists... Because, because they were there when he was asking questions. Mm-hmm. He knows the other journalists have this story and he still doesn't file. He's just not doing his job. Yep. Yeah, he got the coroner's report, they got the coroner's report, and he continues on, and the others write it up and send it in. Yeah. And I suppose that you could you could argue, and I think you would be wrong, but and I don't mean you personally, that you could argue that Kolchak is trying to put together a complete story instead of yes, a but my- half-assed one, but at the same time, you know, it... It is true this guy was killed and he was ripped apart and that is a story yes. even if it's not finished and he should have filed. He should have he should have filed because the detail that makes that interesting isn't something that he, only he knows about. Right. If it were, then you'd have a point. He could hold on to it while he kind of finds out some more about it. But as soon as he knows the other journalists know about it, why, you know, it, he knows it's going to be out there. So shouldn't it be INS who have that story? And here's here's a, a, a great, we'll use Watergate again, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not an expert on Watergate, but, um, you know, there is an article in the newspapers about a break-in at Watergate. It's a little tiny thing, but it's there because that happened and they discovered yeah. there was a break-in. It was not for some time thereafter until... You know, when the investigative journalist got into it and got going on it, that the real story came out from behind that. But it is absolutely correct that they should have reported on the break-in because it was a it was a thing that happened. And that's exactly what's happened here. Because Kolchak's got a great story, he shouldn't have let the little bits go along the way that, that should have been done. So... But I think that's I think that's what they're going for. Is they're going for Kolchak's in it for the long game, and unfortunately, you know, he fumbled on the way. I don't think they mean for us to think he fumbled on the way either. I think we're I think we're supposed to sympathize no, with no, Kolchak no, no, yeah. here in this. You know, it's like no, he's doing the right thing. He's still searching for the story. But in fact, in the real life, Vincenzo is really right. He should have gotten the story out and then kept working on it. Well, he, he should because en- because any 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 story like that it doesn't actually break in one go it breaks in it's you 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 get hold of some other thing you think there's something else to it but you're waiting to to stand it up as soon as you can stand that up then you publish and that doesn't necessarily mean you stop investigating <laughs> yeah I, 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 think, I think i think that's that's as true of watergate as it is of any other investigation yeah 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 yeah. i'm just thinking in in the world of kolchak i think you get to file one story and that's your per episode (laughs) (laughs) that's your that's your quota for any event that's ever occurred is you get the one one file that's it 
Carl. Sorry, you already did your article, so you can't go on about it now. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, later in the episode, Kolchak has got a story. He's written it up. Vincenzo is, and this is a weird story, but Vincenzo is 100% on board with this. He is, yes. he is backing this thing. He is, you know, salivating at the wire service, waiting for it to come across the lines again. And, and you know, he's he, very complimentary of Kolchak. You know, he, he, he slightly puts him down, but at the same time, he, he reiterates that Kolchak really can be a good reporter. And, uh, and then it's crushed by the office. Well, I'll say it's crushed by the New York office, but in reality, it's OIO, who are the yeah. pervasive evil throughout this episode. They've, they've bought off the doctors. They've bought off the hospitals. They've bought off the universities. They've bought off the police. Mm-hmm. Um, who else have they got in this one? Well, INS, obviously. Well, uh, yes, although, Vincenzo backs up Kolchak straight away on this yes. occasion, to his credit. To no avail, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's, that's um, I think that's, you know, more of the theme of the episode is just talking about the, the invasive influence that corporations have in, and their slimy PR departments. Which I have to say, the guy playing the PR um, guy went on to be, we'll call it famous, well recognizable in a in a sitcom called One Day at a Time. Pretty sure it's One Day at a Time, and he was the maintenance man in a building, and he had a black pencil thin mustache. In this, and he was kind of greasy because he was like the, the mechanic, and he so should have had that pencil thin mustache in this because he looks so marmy in in that in that show. I mean, he was he wasn't supposed to be a bad guy or anything like that, but but he really looked greasy and unpleasantly shifty and. Seeing him in this without the mustache, I'm like, no, he he actually looks more respectable here. He should definitely have the mustache. <laughs> he should have grown the mustache for this because it's exactly what I expect from this this kind of uh, shady guy that he's supposed to be uh, in, in the episode. But uh, let's see what else have we got? Um, the policeman, the police captain. Oh, yes. Not, I don't know what his name is. Did he have a name? Uh, Grumpy Police Captain of the Week. Yes. All right. Uh, GPW, Grumpy Police Captain of the Week. He um, didn't really shout at Coljack. No, he he confined himself to sarcasm. I I love, what was that line? Uh, Coljack says it's, uh, or Kolchak says, uh, it really smells in here. And, and the cop says, maybe it's your undershirt. And his response is, maybe it's your jokes. Ah, I'm enjoying that. I enjoy that kind of banter back and forth. Uh, you know, other cops would go, hey, Kolchak, get out of here. 
but but he didn't. He just took it as you know. All right, I insulted him. He insults me. We're that's what that's our relationship. We're we're off the way. Um, kind of. I I guess the the biggest thing about this is I, he is working for OIO. I'm guessing, or or maybe he's not working for OIO. He's working for the police department. The police department works for the mayor and the mayors. You know, somebody up the chain of command has been bought off by OIO or convinced that yeah. OIO, they want to play ball with OIO, and that's come down to this cop. I, I don't want to imply that OIO went to him and gave him a bribe. Okay, uh, I'm no, 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 but he, but, but he, he's got the agenda he is pursuing is is the OIO agenda. Yes. So, Ultimately, he's keeping it secret because oh, I want it kept secret. Yes, and um, I, I'm trying not to portray him as evil because if you had if you'd handed him money, right, then he would definitely be the bribed bad cop. But here, I think he's supposed to be. He's following a questionable agenda, but he's following orders from his rightfully imposed boss and but i'm not sure i like the way he deals with kolchak specifically his camera um this this is the this is the worst case i mean there have been other cases where they've taken kolchak's camera right and they've just pulled the film out and destroyed yeah. it because yeah. they didn't want and you know hand him back the the useless camera Obviously, that's probably not legal. <laughs> I would I would go with the argument, but but in this case, he actually just accidentally drops his camera on the on the floor by reaching up, grabbing the strap, and pulling it off his arm so that it falls off, and then steps on it. Uh, I'm sure by mistake to break the camera. And to me, this is the first instance where. When Kolchak is down at the police headquarters and he's being given the, you know, no, you don't get anything and I'm really not going to do anything about your camera, although, you know, put in a voucher. I kind of feel justified for him breaking into the captain's <laughs> office to look for the pictures because he had pictures of it and they were they were destroyed. And, you know, he knows there's pictures of the autopsy of the one that got shot. And, you know, he and he tries to the captain, you owe me. You need to show me those pictures. And the captain's like, nope, don't owe you anything but the voucher for the camera thing. It, it's obviously it, in the real world where we have laws that have to be applied equally and consistently across the board. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. But in the context of this type of story, this is really the first time where I felt like Kolchak should have done it. As opposed to, you think he's morally justified? I think he's morally justified more so than like the time he punctures the guy's tires <laughs> and gets him to leave, leave the building and go out so that he can get a sneak at the file. There, there he's following the story, and he has no right to anything that's in that story other than journalism and freedom of the press. Here, something was taken from him. And he's trying to get something roughly equivalent back. Yeah. But <clears throat> it, it it's just – it's kind of a different dynamic he has with this 
with this cop, who strikes me as kind of nasty. Yeah. Well, he except he's not. There, there's something about the way that's played that didn't quite sit well with me because it's actually quite. It's it's an act of intimidation, really. He's he's doing it because he can do it because he's the police captain, and that's that's essentially a threat because he's 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 laying down to Kolchak that if I don't like what you do, then I will use the power that I have as as the police captain to. You know, I'll, I'll take your, I'll take your camera. You know, potentially, I'll take your liberty. And the way Kolchak reacts to that is this kind of standard comic bluster, mm. which isn't quite what I expected. I, I, I don't know. I expected, I, I didn't really expect Kolchak to be cowed by it, but I expected him to take it more seriously, I suppose. Um, so you, I mean, you can yeah, certainly argue right. that he. He might scheme then to, to to kind of pretend pretend to go away and and and, and steal the photos. Well, okay, maybe, but um, but I it, it was just it was the reaction to it. It was it, it it was not what I expected from what we are told is supposed to be someone who is like a champion of the free press and standing up for journalists' rights and and all the rest of it. Could it be that he is just incredibly cynical? I mean, I mean, he, he is be. a cynical character, and so you know, the police have just done something completely illegal and threatened me, and that's exactly what I expect the police to do because I'm cynical. And but then, why does he even react? Taking it sort of in his stride, but but you know, it's it's not. You know, if a cop did that to me, I'd be threatened. I mean, I wouldn't expect a cop yeah. to do that to me, and I wouldn't expect to be in a situation where a cop would do that to me, and so that would be a threatening thing. In Kolchak's case, I think he's just thinking this is um, this is the normal uh, behavior that I would expect from from. Except yeah. that he he he, yeah. he does he does go. Oh, you just trod on my camera! How dare you! It's a kind of <clears throat> yeah. It's, yeah, it, I, I it's a reaction, but it's not. It's 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 a reaction that's not quite. I, I expect this because you're, I'm because I'm I'm a world weary cynic and you're a corrupt and uh, power mad police officer. Mm. It, it's not that reaction. It's much more of a kind of how dare you do this reaction, but it doesn't quite seem proportionate to the the seriousness of the threat. I don't know. It was just it was it was one of those things that it didn't seem to me like anyone involved in this episode was quite committed to what was going on at that point in the story. Or indeed at any other point in the story, but <laughs> fair enough. I, I do want to point something out that might be a continuity problem or it might be a rewrite problem or something. Um when Kolchak breaks into that office, he opens up a the file and he takes some pictures out and he folds them up he puts them in his pocket or he starts to put them in his pocket his coat pocket and then he he pulls them out and he kind of has a pensive look on his face next scene we see him backing out of 
the captain's office. And unfortunately, the captain happens to be standing right there and he bumps into him. And the captain suspects. Kolchak says he's putting the voucher in for his camera. But the captain suspects Kolchak of something else. So he frisks him. And he does not find anything. Kolchak blusters and then off he goes. Later, we have the scene where Vincenzo is talking about what a great story this is. And at one point, Vincenzo is holding a photograph of one of the ape men lying on a mortuary slab or a forensic examination table. And he sets it back down on Carl's desk, or maybe he's walking around with it. I'm, I'm not sure exactly which what ended up with that picture, but, but Vincenzo has it. The story gets squashed. Kolchak goes out. Um, he gets some pictures with his new camera of the footprint of one of these creatures at a crime scene. And he takes that to a biology professor at a high school uh, because uh, all the universities have been got at. And so that's the only avenue for him is public schools. He shows that guy feet, and he's excited about those footprints, and he derives the whole thing. Here it would be probably somewhere along here on the the chart of evolutionary beings, etc., etc. At no point does Kolchak show him the picture of the dead creature on the slab, which I think would probably mm. be a lot more informative. And he never does it. It's as if he didn't get the picture out of the office. And I'm trying to reconcile those scenes with Kolchak doesn't get caught. Kolchak thought twice about carrying the pictures out. Kolchak doesn't have them for the biology professor. And yet somehow Vincenzo is looking at them and never mentions them. So I'm... Well, I, yeah, well, no, I think... I think there is definitely an anomaly somewhere. I have to say my assumption was that Kolchak did have the photographs with him because I couldn't understand why else he would allow the captain to frisk him because if he had the if he had the photographs and and he knew that he they were unlikely to be found somehow he'd hidden them so that just patting him down they they wouldn't be in any of his pockets or something then he would he would go along with it in order to get past the captain and avoid suspicion but if he didn't have the photographs again it comes back to this idea of of kolchak as the the free press crusader and he would object to that kind of harassment you know at the very least saying something about it before it happens rather than waiting until he's you know, safely halfway out of the door. But on the other hand, what I just said about the the scene in which he's threatened by having his camera crushed and the way that's played makes me think I can't really read anything into this because there's there's no real kind of um the the direction is just not tight. It's just it's not it mm. It's not interested in detail or clarity of meaning. I didn't look, but I did notice when I was watching it that the killings involved the freeze frame thing that we talked about during the werewolf episode. And oh, yeah. I'm wondering if the gorilla it's the has same the power of the freeze frame. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same director. I. I I did. I did kind of feel that this director was was 
sort of going through the motions in in certain places because you have you have that scene with the uh where he goes and sees the gcse biology teacher in order to find out what the monster is and at the end of it they hear the kids coming down the corridor and kolchak goes to the door as if to get away before the kids come there's then ample time for the for the kids to come thundering down the corridor or at least to be close to getting through the door so he has to push past them when when he goes out of course we know that the director probably didn't have the budget for school kids okay (laughs) fair enough but unless you tighten up the timing of that then it's obvious that you know the 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 reason the reason he's not seeing those kids is not because he's quick out of the door it's because of the shortcomings of the episode and it did just feel in a lot of places like it was padding you know the number of flares that he lit in the tunnel lights a flare throws it down the tunnel lights another flare throws it down the tunnel lights another flare throws it the other way down the tunnel and we keep seeing exactly the same shot happening over and over again and it's i i'm I, I enjoy watching 70s and 80s stuff for the slower-paced television, but that doesn't mean I necessarily have to tolerate padding. <laughs> yeah, I um, um, have been recently watching um, like uh, old Dark Shadows soap opera, um, and um, I'll plug a... I'll plug a website. I think it's darkshadowseveryday.com. If you're if you're into dark shadows, you should definitely take a look at that website. Um, this guy goes through every episode and writes one blog post per episode of the what, thousand plus episodes that there are of this show. And wow. they, um, you know, not only does he go through what happens in the episode, but he also goes over bloopers and he goes over some stuff going on behind the scenes or you know like strikes that are going on or changes in the order of recording which cause mistakes or whatever and it's he's quite an entertaining writer um but i was watching an episode and i didn't notice it because i i was raised in that era and i don't i don't think he is i think he's a bit younger but he talks about the scene where the hero or not even hero it's just a guy comes into the house and he walks across the the foyer and then he goes into the drawing room and he looks around there's no one else in the house um he, he crosses the room goes over there's a clock he looks at the clock looks at his watch takes his watch out he starts uh you know setting the time matching his watch to the clock and uh he just kind of finishes that and then turns in and then finally somebody comes into the room and they start a conversation and he points out you know, and the thing, you, yeah, congratulations, you've just watched 90 seconds of television in the 1970s where a character <laughs> set his watch. And and that's it. And, you know, the, the pacing is, is very different. Of course, it's a soap opera and they have a but, lot of kind to kill. But, you know, it just, it, it just wouldn't happen. But, yeah, I, I'm not – but, I mean – do some of that you, – you have a character light a cigarette or – that can actually – tell you a lot and you know it, the, the 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 timing and the manner of it it doesn't just create atmosphere but the way he does it whether he's precise about it or whether he's kind of careless about it yeah or there's there's and the expression on his face you know there's there's a lot that you can convey in that and 
I, you know, I think about um, the the contemporary adaptation of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was seven hours on the television, compared to the the recent uh, film version, which was obviously standard feature length of about two or two hours or so. Sure um, Peter Jackson telling the same story, but not a second of of what we saw on on TV was wasted because it all adds to the atmosphere and 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 the depth of it. So I'm absolutely not against taking your time telling the story it's just this feels like <laughs> you're waiting for the next next ad break or yeah well so but i'm gonna i'm gonna vaguely sort of slightly defend the flare scene just vaguely i thought that the intent when i when i watched the scene is that Kolchak is pursuing this carnivorous deadly creature. Once again, he doesn't have a gun or anything that would be effective against a creature like that. And he drops down into this very dark, dank, disused, no one is likely to be there thing. And he's got flares and he takes a flare out and he is incredibly vulnerable there in the dark. He, he can't see anything or mm. we can't see anything mm. around him the way it's shot. So he lights the flare, he tosses it down the, the tunnel and it's wholly and completely inadequate when it's down there at the end of the tunnel. I mean, you're barely getting any kind of value, lighting value out of it. And he lights another one and he tosses it down there. And it's equally as inadequate. And he turns and tosses one down the other direction. And he's made the effort of putting lighting, but it just isn't enough. And so we're in a situation where with the music and everything, we're supposed to be getting uptight and and you know i've mentioned before there are certainly scenes in kolchak where i they can really wind me up with the the scare factor of that they're building and the tension that they're building Hmm. i feel that that's what they're trying to do here and then they kind of squander it completely by once he steps down the tunnel it's beautifully lit (laughs) in red light i mean it's nice that it's lit in red light but you know they they've it's yeah. basically daylight in red and and then that but it also of, it also fails in any way to to because it's it's fundamentally the same shot the lights a flare they cut away to it being thrown down the tunnel and then they cut back to him doing exactly the same thing exactly the same way you don't get a close-up of him you don't get any sense of the tension he's feeling or anything like that true. it literally Absolutely is true and it doesn't do anything, therefore, to to increase the tension. Yeah, no, I, I I would agree. It's not the best version of it. I just that was what I felt like they were doing. Um, less successful than than had has been done in the past. Yeah, I mean, I I come back to the same thing all the way through, which is there isn't there, there's no sense of commitment in this episode. It 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 doesn't feel like the sufficient care has been given to the likely reaction to choosing a particular shot or to, you know, considering what effect the editing is going to have, etc. Yeah, no, I agree. So last, last thing that I have to talk about, and that is we, we haven't talked about Mr. Ron Uptight or Updike, if we want to be kind to him. (laughs) Um, I, um, he tells that little joke 
about when the police have, and I think we're supposed to think that the police have put out a cover story about the escaped wild animals. Mm-hmm, we never mm-hmm. really goes anywhere as to whether or not that's real or not. But you know, there's the, are the escaped wild animals that might explain these these killings, and. You know, especially as a driver just came forward a couple of days later because he didn't want to admit it. That that makes it sound like it's an OIO uh, plot. Cover story, or, yeah. Uh, cover story that they've put out there. And, you know, he's giving this thing to Vincenzo. It's like, uh, you know, well, there was uh, two Jaguars, a gorilla, some gibbons, and a pie cost. And Vincenzo is like, well, what's a pie cost? And Ron does that old joke of about 89 cents and i appreciate the fact that kolchak is laughing at that at vincenzo's express expense (laughs) it's a terrible joke right it's a terrible joke yeah but what what bugs me the most about it is that a pie costs 12 dollars and 99 cents because i just checked because now i want pie it's like sometimes you watch a piece of television and it affects you in weird ways and when he did that joke suddenly i'm like i want a pie I want a nice French silk pie with the chocolate and the, the shade oh, stuff on the top. Oh, that would be lovely. $12.99. Inflation sucks. That's all I got to say. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, Ron has also used comedy foil for Kolchak taking his um, parking spot. What, what, what did you think of that Kolchak-Ron interaction? Um, well, I've... <laughs> Kol- Kolchak is back to really being basically an asshole. He get he gets Ron to do his legwork, and he promises him something that Ron obviously values, even though it's just not having Kolchak nicking his space. And then he then he parks there anyway. I mean, that's bad. That's bad. Um, I agree. That that is Kolchak. N- being a thoroughly unpleasant human being. I, I don't care who the person is. You just don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, um, I, I have a parking spot at, at my work. And when people take it, are you really mad? But it's not, it's not, it's not even, <laughs> it's not even the question of whether or not it's about the parking space. It's about, he promised him something yeah. to do something for him. That just and makes then it worse. He, yeah. Well, I, I that that to me is inexcusable because he's he's basically he's 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 promised something and then he's not delivered it. It's like stealing, in effect. Oh. And and Ron makes him a promise: next time you do that, I'm going to have your car towed. Right? And Kolchak, I, I don't, you know, his his expression is kind of like, "Would you do that?" He's like, yeah, you do. Obviously, Ron would do that. And the fact that then Kolchak parks in his spot. Ron calls for a tow truck, and Kolchak has somebody move Ron's car back into his spot so it will be towed away, is even worse. I mean, we're supposed to laugh at that and go, hey, that's just really funny because Ron, everybody hates Ron. It's great when bad things happen to him. But it's terrible. It's a terrible <laughs> thing to do to somebody. It costs money to get a car out of out of the impound lot. You know, you don't... The, the the trick to that, at least in the United States, is that if a business calls for a car to be towed, the car gets towed, it gets put in an impound lot, it gets charged rent for sitting in the impound lot, and absolutely yep. all of that is charged to the owner of the car. Yeah, same here. 
So, I mean, he's screwing Ron over pretty good there. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, that that's very unpleasant on, on Cole Jack's behalf. Um, I have one thing I'm going to ask. I meant to mention it during the last episode we did, which I guess was Mr. Ring. Mm-hmm. I think that's the episode it occurred in. That's the one where Kolchak was away for the day. And yes, that was the one where Kolchak was away for the day. And Ron got put on the big story in San Francisco and sent back. Yes. To, yes. Uh, and we, we, you know, we, Ron has not been a particularly liked character by the, the cast. Uh, you know, everybody looks down on him. He's, he's small. He's, dressed very fastidious is his little mustache um he's you know more into the society he's squeamish he's uh you know he's <clears throat> there's a certain persona that they're portraying here in this episode to make people not like him so that he can be a foil for Kolchak to have his car towed and everyone will go ha 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 Ron got his car <laughs> but last time when they sent him to San Francisco as he was leaving he was going yay I get to go back to my hometown well I don't know that I ever caught this before but San Francisco then and now is known as a gay enclave and it kind of the pieces kind of hit me last time. It's like, I think Ron is supposed to be gay, and they're mm. playing these stereotypes to make us dislike him. Because, you know, mm. they, didn't, they didn't usually play gay characters to be sympathetic in, in the 1970s. I mean, at least not here. Um, I, I mean, he's not super flamboyant like Miss... Dear Humphreys, and are you being served? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but there's some of the, you know, there's there are some mannerisms there, and there are some stereotypes. Like I say, like the the and, well, the clothes, yeah, and the, the fastidiousness and the the, the squeamishness. I and th- the, yeah, yeah, it it fits. But the I mean, the, di- the difference is that, that that Ron is an entirely negative character. Yes, there's nothing. There's nothing redeeming in Ron. That's right, and I, he 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 is he is there. The the I mean, I hadn't I hadn't kind of I hadn't spotted this. I think it fits. I'd kind of read Ron as being there because he is the he is the the foil for Kolchak to for Kolchak to be this um, hero because he breaks all the rules and he doesn't care and. Um, Updike is is the one who is um, the the kind of oh, I was going to say straight, but as in straight laced, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. So and 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 that's the way it's supposed to appear when they come into conflict. Although actually, what it tends to look like, particularly in this episode with the whole parking space thing, is more like bullying. Actually, yeah. yeah. And Updike is is not a comic character in the sense of we laugh with him. No. He's never part of the joke. He's always laughing at him. Yeah. But also, you know, mm. um, frequently homosexual characters are the targeting of bullying. Yeah. 
Both of yeah. them, they're there and in real yes, life. Yes, it uh, it's, a, it's a fit. And it's not the first time that this show has taken a pop at them and homosexuals. Mm. I mean, look at Night Strangler with the, uh, the, the dancer and her husband, as Kolchak pointed out, um, kept calling her a man during the course of the, the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an unfortunate artifact of that period of time. But I just really hadn't pegged it. I mean, I think it, it may literally be because his name is Updike and everyone calls him Uptight. That is his character writ large across his forehead. This man is Uptight. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you can kind of take it that way. But I think, I think they're going for a little worse, frankly, on that. Um, I, I fear I just, you could be right. Okay, I just forgotten it from the last episode. I added my notes, and somehow we we skipped it. But anyway, I don't have anything else. I don't think about this episode, or if I did, I probably said it in the last go round, and and I forgot. <laughs> I thought I've done it. So did I think we said most of it again. I do. I think we do. Um, next time is the Trevi collection, and um, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember enough about it to know what it's about, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go and quality after after this episode. Uh, <laughs> Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.